Hi, this is Amy Franco, author of The Modern Seller. You're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Amy Franco. Amy Franco works with sales leaders in professional services, insurance, technology organizations, and more to accelerate sales results, drawing on her 20 plus years of client-facing sales experience. She began her career with global companies IBM and Livono before pivoting into entrepreneurship. She's here to talk about her book, The Modern Seller, which is an Amazon bestseller and was also named a 2018 top sales book by Top Sales World. Welcome, Amy. Bill, thanks so much for having me here today. It's great to have you. Tell me, when you were growing up, Amy, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? My high school English teacher. I remember her to this day. She was my freshman year high school English teacher, Mrs. Niffick, and she was just one of the most influential and inspiring people to me. She was a tough teacher, but she was also really fair, and she really pushed me to do my best and I think inspired me to continue on in this craft of communication and was an early inspiration for where I'm at today. And when you think back to Mrs. Niffick, which is a great name, what do you think drove her? What do you think was a lesson or a a belief system that she had that led her to challenge people, led her to raise standards, and to do those other things that helped ignite and help you connect more of your potential? Yeah, you know, I would say she was very passionate about language and the written word. I mean, she knew her subject matter expertise so well. She just absolutely showed how much she loved it by her level of knowledge. And secondly, I would say that um, in order to push us, and you think about students that are, you know, 14, 15 years old, right? She created what I would consider to be a really great, safe, challenging environment where she would question us. She would allow us to challenge our own ideas, challenge one another's ideas, but she did it in a way that was really positive and kept you wanting to come back to class. That's great. And it's really um, has a lot of applicability to working with salespeople. Sure does. Working with language, helping challenge them to aspire to new goals. What is it that guides the direction of your work today? Oh, you know, I I would say what guides the direction of my work today, if I can maybe point to a couple of things, and I'm thinking about our audience of, of small business leaders. I would say for myself, I've probably always had leadership in my DNA. Something that most people don't necessarily know about me is that I'm the oldest of five daughters. I have four younger sisters. So leadership has always really kind of been a part of my life. So I would say that that's one thing. And then secondly, I feel like I've always been driven by problem solving and having a little bit of entrepreneurship in my DNA as well. So having made a pivot from a B2B sales environment uh, early on in my career at IBM and Lenovo to becoming an entrepreneur, I would say that entrepreneurial drive is probably something as well. Well, I think that in reading The Modern Seller, people pick up on that really quickly because I've got that from my read of the book. And before we get into some of the topics of what defines a modern seller, can you just highlight 
some of the ideas as to why this is so important now. Why in today's business climate is having a new, fresh idea or definition or paradigm to follow critical? Yeah, I would say a couple of big reasons. First, if, I, if I'm if i in the shoes of a, of a small business leader, I, I'm running an organization, whether it's C-level, you know, chief executive officer or chief sales officer, perhaps, whatever your leadership role is, you are constantly needing to have the right talent in your organization. So that's one thing that I believe drives the this need for the modern seller. And then secondly, I would say that the way in which we go to market today and the expectations that our prospects and our clients have of us today have really become so much more sophisticated. And in order for us to be successful as an organization with whatever markets we're in, whatever products and services we sell, we have to be able to stay ahead of what those expectations are. And it changes the way that we go to market and really the way that we have to sell today. I'm going to ask you if, if you could share with me an example of how those expectations have shifted and maybe a way that you or one of your clients that you work with or one of the keynotes that you've addressed has brought out that example so that we could learn from something very tangible. Yeah. So so I'm thinking of this time that uh, it happened you know, not too long ago. So I have to say the, the modern seller journey is, is always evolving. I'm always learning something new, right? So th- this story probably took place a couple of years ago and it was, a, uh, it was a large banking client in the Midwest. So I'm sitting in this meeting with a chief sales officer and a regional bank president. So high level people in this organization. And we were having some conversations. We had had a number of conversations about some sales consulting and sales training solutions that we were looking at putting into their business. So we've had a number of conversations. We were probably three or four meetings in. So I come to this meeting, right? And I have the statement of work in hand. And I think we're going to, uh, we're going to cross some T's. We're going to dot some I's and we're going to get this thing going, right? So that's my mindset coming into this meeting. So we're probably a third of the way in. We're talking about some of these different ideas and solutions. And the regional bank president, she gets this kind of thoughtful look on her face. And it's one of those looks where you know you're about to get asked a big, tough question. So what she says to me, she said, Amy, she said, I need to be able to go to my CEO, CEO of the entire bank system. I need to be able to go to my CEO and I need to be able to bullet point out two or three bullet points how this investment, us working together, is going to move the needle on our business in the next 90 days. So that was the thing she needed to solve for. And the lesson in that for me, twofold. The first was, I was not ready to answer that question, and I should have been. I should have seen that question coming. And the second thing was the realization that our prospects and clients, their expectations of ROI have become much more accelerated and also a lot more sophisticated. And we have to be ready for that. They might have an annual P&L, they might have annual goals, but they are running many of them quarter to quarter. And part of our role in a modern sales organization is to be able to help our prospects and clients see tangible progress toward their ROI in a quarter or, or maybe two at best before they might decide to pull the plug on what it is we're doing together. So that was a huge lesson for me and a trend that I'm seeing across industries. I think that's something that really makes people sit up when they hear that because all of us are experiencing that who are talking to clients in small and mid-sized businesses. 
And I think another part that you brought out in the book that this reminds me of is how priorities are constantly shifting for our customers and clients. And we need to be able to be flexible with that as well as to be able to address it in order to be good partners, in order to be part of what how you define a modern seller. Isn't that right? Absolutely. And one other thing that I've been learning, I continue to learn, is knowing that their priorities can shift on a dime. But what if we were able to help them even anticipate where some of those priorities might change? That That's part of the agility and helping our prospects and clients see ahead of the curve. If we can position ourselves to help them see ahead of the curve, we become even more valuable to them. What do you say to people when you go into a meeting, like a sales meeting, as you were describing earlier, and they start talking about how they have all of these priorities? And a natural question to ask is, well, what is the most important thing? And then the response that everyone listening here has heard at one time or another, and hopefully not given, but you hear the response, everything's important. Everything's number one. How do you help them sort through because you know that's an impossible <laughs> that's an impossible standard to meet. Right, right. So you're sitting in a meeting and there's 29 priorities and they all need to be done in the next quarter, right? So where I would start with that, especially if this is an organization, if this is a prospect or client where perhaps they are this might be a little easier in a publicly traded organization where there are annual or quarterly reports coming from the CEO or investor type reports, but even in privately held companies, there might be something similar that you can dig into. I would typically direct the conversation there because being able to take those 29 priorities and say, all right, we know that there's a certain degree of importance to each of those. Which one or two would you say the CEO is saying right now that we need to focus on? or that you're seeing in the investor reports that we need to focus on, let's at least start there and then see if we can cancel out some of the noise of the other things that could become lesser priority. That's actually a great jujitsu move because you've, you've used their own criteria of their quarterly report. And whether it's to stakeholders in a privately held company that a lot of small business owners have, or in a larger company that has to file quarterly reports, those are standards and criteria that have already been established. And you show a lot of value and wherewithal when you say, well, let's go to something that's already established. Right, right. And even if you go back to those 29 priorities and it's still hard to move them off of those, You've shown that, hey, I've done my homework, I've gathered intelligence about your organization, your industry, and and I'm coming from a place of being well-researched. I'm not coming in cold to have this conversation with you. Excellent point. Everyone listening to this knows that you wrote a book called The Modern Seller, and you define a modern seller as someone who's recognized as a differentiator in their customer's business, and the value of their product or service isn't fully realized without them. A modern seller's customer sees the work they do together as strategic to their competitive advantage. That is so chock full of value. I wonder, could you break that down for me piece by piece? Absolutely. Does that feel like a really huge bar that you have to pull vault over? <laughs> All three of those elements of the modern seller? <laughs> Some people are, are rubbing their necks as they look up at the height of that bar. <laughs> right. They're like, okay, how do I go jump over that bar? <laughs> 
so I think probably the best way that I could break it down is to uh, use an example from my own life where I was anything but a modern seller. So I'm going to go back to when I was uh, selling for IBM. And I sold what you would probably consider to be the ultimate commodity. I sold PCs, laptops, mobile computing, hardware. So I had a mix of commercial clients. Things that had huge profit margins, right? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. The profit margins were, were they, they were so razor thin. They were huge. <laughs> Loss leader, right? <laughs> and I had a mix of uh, commercial clients and, and public sector clients. So I, I really had a ni- nice broad range. And, um, you know, it was a tough slog. It was real, to your point, it's, it was a very, very, very low margin business. And if you were breaking even on a multi-million dollar deal out of the gate, you were doing pretty well. So you could see where it was tough to be successful when you were dealing with these really razor thin profit margins. And also just the pressure of selling something that was commoditized. My competition, a lot of them competed on price and I was not the low price provider. And so that you had that as part of the mix as well. And so I struggled and what I was finding was I was not able to find the right prospects or clients. The ones I did find were very, very price driven and I was losing six ways to Sunday because my competitors were selling at a much lower price than I was. So I, this was a wake up call for me that if I was going to be successful, I had to figure out a different way to operate. So where I started, and if anybody can identify with this, and it's like you're sitting in this situation, it's like, all right, what do I even do first? So I started with what I knew, which was, or digging into what I knew, which was what were the products and services out of all the ones that I had in my toolkit, which ones were the most differentiated and which ones had the best chance of being profitable in the long run. So I looked at my product mix. I looked at my prospect and client mix to say, okay, out of these prospects and clients, which ones have the best probability of becoming the best clients, of really wanting to have a strong partnership versus just someone that's selling them a product at the lowest price? And then my third leg to the stool, if you will, was I looked at my business partners, my ecosystem. Who were the business partners in my environment that I could build the best relationships with? So rather than look at price and product, I looked at all three of these things. And what I was able to put together was this idea that my best clients were in education that wanted to put mobile computing platforms into their school districts. So once I got that kernel of an idea... I was able to start to run with it to say, all right, now that I am thinking this could be it, where do I want to focus my time and energy on my prospects and clients? What are the product mixes that can get me there? And who are the partners that I can create the best relationships with? And I'm giving you the short version of the story that this probably took me about a year to get figured out. So this wasn't something you just did over a cup of coffee. I wish. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wish. No, this was probably about a year of just fa- experimenting, figuring out what the right mix could be, doing homework, looking at the people on my team. So if you're a small business leader running a team, who are the people? I looked at my team members to say, who's been really successful on my team? 
So I wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel. I was trying to emulate and look at those that were successful, but also apply it to my own unique situation. And so that, when I was doing my research for the book, that was where I started to see my own shift into what I would consider becoming a modern seller. Because those changes over time helped me to get to that definition that, that you gave. So you read so eloquently after the book. That helped me get there, but it was a good year or so, maybe longer, to get to that point. Amy, I'm going to do something now. I'm going to reread the definition so that people could hear it fresh after you describing your story and then mentally check off in their minds how each element applies to the story that you shared, because the story really was terrifically illustrative. Let me read that definition again. A modern seller is recognized as a differentiator in their customer's business, and the value of their product or service isn't fully realized without them. A modern seller's customer sees the work they do together as strategic to their competitive advantage. Now, I'm going to leave it as an exercise for the listeners to match up those points to the story you shared. Let's next go into the five elements of what it takes to be a modern seller. I'm going to share them, and then I have a couple questions for you about how you came up with each of them and what are some of the insights that we can use as takeaways listening to your description. All right. All right, good. So the modern seller is agile, entrepreneurial, holistic, social, and an ambassador. Each of these elements is clearly uh, distinct from one another. Which of them proved to be the most difficult to define? I would say probably the most difficult to define and to give real practical strategies around was probably agile because it can feel maybe a little bit woo-woo. And that you're either born with it or you're not. But I really believe it's it, it's a set of skills that you can build. All right. So you just said something else that I want to highlight. What we're talking about here are these skills and strategies and tools that you offer in the book and in your teaching, whether you're doing it on a podcast or in a keynote, are these things that people are either born with or not and you should be screening for it? Or are these things that can be developed? I think they are things that can be developed, which is why I really wanted to write this book. The piv- the entrepreneurial pivot that I made was into the learning and development space about 12 years ago. I'm a learning junkie. I love to learn. So I really believe that I think of them as dimensions because they are part skill, they're part mindset, but I do believe that they can be developed. You might have strength in them naturally, but focusing on one can also help you build strength in the others. So if Agile is something that was difficult to get your arms around, what is it that you found through wrestling with this concept as a dimension? And I love that term. What's been the easy way to explain it from the other side now that you've come up with the term and have been able to apply it? Yeah. So um, if I could, I'll define it real quickly. And the one definition that I've seen for agility, it actually comes from Harvard Business Review, and, and I love it, and I'll paraphrase it, that agility is essentially rapid and continuous learning from your experiences. And you can take these seemingly disconnected experiences and apply it to the situation in front of you. If you've ever felt like you have been thrown into the deep end of the pool and you don't know what to do next, you are using agility to help you figure out what to do next. And if I could put two real concrete things around it, strategies around it that have helped me with agility, the first is that someone who practices agility has learned 
how to filter lots and lots of information, which is something that we're all dealing with. So are our prospects and clients and being able to ferret out, filter out the pieces of information, the intelligence, if you will, that is most important to the situation. Being able to do that for a prospect or client can help them move along so much more quickly and it helps them to see the value that we bring to the table. So that that's one concrete strategy that I've seen people who practice agility work on and do well. Excellent. I think that's really helpful. So as we look at these five dimensions again, which is the one as you're giving keynotes and people come up to you afterwards and ask, what's the one area that small business leaders think that they have handled, but are surprised to learn that the real requirements aren't being met? Oh, I would say out of those, um, ambassador is the one that really piques the most interest and attention. And people will come up to me after keynotes or we're working together in a, in a consulting arrangement. They'll say, let's dig into this one a little bit more. Tell me more about it. And one or two ideas that you share to help them really see what an ambassador role is, an ambassador dimension to being a modern seller that they can apply. Yeah. So if you can visualize a bridge, I think of an ambassador as a bridge. An ambassador is a bridge between their organization and their clients and prospects. They are a bridge into their greater community. They're a bridge into their industry. And there are two things that make an ambassador really, really stand out. The first is that they stand very uniquely in their own brand and their own expertise, but they are also they espouse the values of your organization. You are really, really proud to see them out in the world representing your organization for that reason. The second thing that they do really well is that they can take the kernel of an initial win, even the smallest new client, and they lead the execution efforts of that so well that that client then becomes more loyal and they can build longer-term lifetime value. They, they, they have a lifetime value mindset. They aren't just looking to win today. They are looking to win for the long-term and create a, a mutually valuable relationship. I think that's going to hit home for a lot of people listening that they could just put to practice right away. Amy, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Absolutely. Bring it on. All right. So as you think about how you start your day, what are one or two of the key components to your routine for daily success? My workout is probably hands down my number one key routine. What does that consist of? I'm a cross trainer at heart. So it can be cardio, it can be strength, it can be a little bit of stretching yoga, but it is something that gets me moving and clears my mind and keeps me fit. What's the easiest or least expensive change you've made in your personal or professional life in the last six months that's had the biggest payoff? I'd say listening to podcasts. I love to learn. And so I have started to use my car as kind of a, uh, a learning lab, if you will. So having, I have a number of podcasts I'd love to listen to, and I will download episodes and I will listen to them while I'm driving. 
What are one of the two at the top of your list? Well, besides this one, of course, I would say um, my a favorite of mine is called The Science of Success. Matt Bodner is the host of that podcast, and all of his guests are looking at evidence-based ways to create success. I absolutely love it. Excellent. And Amy, what would you say is the best advice you've ever received? I would say the best advice I've ever received is to make decisions from the place that you want to be, not necessarily where you are today, and to always honor what I value the most. Terrific. Now, in writing The Modern Seller, you've had a chance to see it published. It's been out in the marketplace. You've been giving keynote presentations on the topic, as well as consulting with companies to help transform their sales force and adopt these ideas and practices. What would you say is the biggest misconception about this whole model that you've found now that it's out in the marketplace? I would say the biggest misconception about the model is that it is something that can be implemented in the very short term. There are absolutely things that can be done in the short term so that you will see those results. But I believe that any type of transformational change, whether it's modern selling or it is something else, it you need to have the patience and the leadership and the perseverance to see it through because you need it to be part of the fabric of your organization. And that's really challenging in today's business environment to actually stand in the space and say, this is an important set of ideas and practices that we need to learn. We need to make it a priority, and it's not going to happen in an hour. It's not going to happen in a day, a week, or a month, but it's going to be a medium-term commitment to actually see it through. Is that kind of the expectation you want people to adopt so that will help lead them to the greatest level of success? Yeah, I think that's really well said. One thing I would add to that is that in order for it to be adopted for the long term, your leadership... It, this, this has to be something that your C-level leadership, even support from your board of directors, if you have one, this is something that really has to be believed in and bought into so that the decisions that you make as leaders come back to it. I think that's a super important point. So I'm going to ask you, what are some of the ways that that manifests? What are some of the specific ways that you ask for that commitment to be agreed to? some arrangements that, you know, maybe there there are check-ins with particular high-level leaders. What does that look like from your experience? Yeah. And uh, and before I answer that question, uh, the, the one parallel that I'll draw is, you know, we have small business leaders that are listening to us today. This can also be something. So think about how with your products and services that you sell, how this might apply as you're having conversations uh, either internally with your C-level folks or maybe even with the C-suite of your prospects and clients. So if I could highlight just a couple of things. the One of the biggest ways that I've seen success is that there is sign-off and buy-in from the highest level in the organization. And that probably sounds kind of obvious on paper, but the way that it gets played out in real life is that, and I'm, I'm thinking of a client right now in professional services space, their highest level, their CEO of their organization comes and kicks off different training workshops that we do. So he is very visible, is part of this type of initiative. And then what I do at a kind of a tactical level, if you will, is we're doing quarterly 
type of check-ins to make sure, are we on target with our metrics? Are we headed in the right direction? And let's take, just take a temperature check. Let's see how everybody is, what the vibe is, what the feedback is, and also what's the quantitative data that tells us we're headed in the right direction. Well, Amy, you have shared so many great ideas with me on my quest for the best today. Everything from being inspired by a a freshman English teacher all the way through understanding the needs and challenges of small business leaders and small businesses that sell to corporate clients. You've helped us understand that now is the right time because there is a demand for talent and there's more work than ever that's crowding onto our priority plates. You've helped us understand and emphasize how the people we are selling to are really expecting a more sophisticated preparation and response to the ROI question, which enables the people who are helping endorse and sell our program and champion our program, move it forward within their organization. And you've gone through and and helped us really break down the ideas of what it means to be a differentiator. And the example you gave of what you did to look at your early position at IBM, which was a very difficult position, and the three ideas you used to transform it about looking at the ecosystem, looking at the differentiator, finding partners who could help you be successful in that area are hugely illustrative and useful for everyone listening. So I just want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Amy, can you tell us where we could find out more about you and your work? The best place to find me is amyfranco.com. Thank you so much for joining. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on My Quest for the Best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up My Quest for the Best, and subscribe. I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up. We've got a lineup of terrific guests, and I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together, and I appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.
Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.